Do you ever struggle with remembering details from your travels? Then I've got something special for you. How would you like a better way to keep track of all the things you see and experience in Scotland? A way to keep those special memories and all the details fresh for years to come. My new Scotland travel journal might just be what you need. It includes daily journaling prompts to help you start writing about your day, lots of space for doodling and notes, prompts to reflect on your trip overall, and suggestions for things to do that help you make more meaningful connections with Scotland. There's also inspiration for your travel bucket list, a map to draw your route, space to keep track of your travel details, and some Gaelic and Scottish phrases to try while you're here. All you have to do is print out the journal, fold the pages in half and start writing. The Scotland Travel Journal is the perfect companion for your upcoming trip to Scotland. Find it in the Watch Me See online shop or visit the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello there, and welcome to Wild for Scotland, a podcast full of inspiring stories from Scotland. I'm your host, Cathy Kamleitner. Wild for Scotland helps you connect with Scotland and dream about future adventures. I'll tell you immersive stories to whisk you away, share some of my top tips for your own Scotland trip, and introduce you to inspiring locals and their stories. So lean back and enjoy. Let's travel to Scotland. again and thanks for tuning in for the second episode that focuses on my hometown of Glasgow. This season is all about the people of Scotland and today it's time to hear the story of the woman who inspired last week's episode. Remember I took you to the necropolis, Glasgow's city of the dead and arguably one of the most fascinating places to visit in the city. I joined one of the heritage walks by Glasgow Women's Library and shared with you some of the forgotten stories about the women of Glasgow. And while, of course, I hope you listen to the story, you can also just dive right into my interview with today's guest. Adele Patrick is one of the co-founders of the Glasgow Women's Library, and today she is also the library's lifelong learning and creative development manager. Adele is an artist, a fierce feminist, but as you'll soon notice, also one of the loveliest and warmest people you could encounter on a trip to the city. But enough from me. This is Adele Patrick from Glasgow. Could you maybe start by introducing yourself, telling us your name, your preferred pronouns, and also what you do? So, uh, my name is Adele Patrick, and my preferred pronouns are she, her, and uh, I am one of the two directors at Glasgow Women's Library. Uh, The area that I focus on um, is really the development of the partnerships, engagements, programming and creative development. 
Since this is a show about Scotland and about the people of Scotland who live and work here, and you don't sound very Scottish if I may say that, um, I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit how you found yourself here in Glasgow. What led you here? Well, uh, although you can tell my voice is yeah, an English voice and I come from Yorkshire, um, my family uh, on my dad's side are Scots. Uh, so uh, my granddad... Uh, who I grew up with, who I lived with uh, until I left home, uh, was a Scot and lots of my family are still in Scotland. So there was a sort of context really for thinking or a, a rationale really for me thinking when I had the opportunity to do higher education, you know, just sort of thinking where would you like to study? And so as an 18-year-old, I applied to Glasgow School of Art and Glasgow School of Art now um, is terrifically well-known, internationally renowned. But actually, when I applied, it wasn't so well-known um, in England. I uh, read about an embroidered and woven textiles course, and there were very, very few of those in, in the UK, and thought, that's the course for me, and I was lucky enough to to get on the course. So when I first came up, I did stay with my relatives in Kilsyth, and then moved to moved to Glasgow, maybe halfway through the first year. I guess it's really interesting because there are so many different kinds of fabrics and, and textures that Scotland is very well known for. You know, I'm thinking of Paisley and Harris Tweed, things like that. So it's quite nice to think that there was a really strong connection to that. Did you experience that that was a really good environment for that kind of interest? Do you know, um, I think when I saw the information about the, the course, I just thought this is what I'm really interested in because you're right, there are, there's an unbelievably strong textile tradition in Scotland and during my course I got an opportunity to work at Gala Shields which is where a lot of the textile production is still happening in, in Scotland. But what really attracted me about um, the Glasgow School of Art course was that there was a an interest in how embroidered and woven textiles could actually be regarded as fine art as well. And that's the sort of road that I went down. So although I did make some uh, textiles uh, that are almost like the fabrics that you would imagine, tweeds and so on and so forth, my specific interest was fine art. And what I discovered when I was at Glasgow School of Art was there's another tradition as well of textiles in Scotland that also became something I was super interested in and that was around I suppose the types of works that were being made by the Glasgow girls so women working in uh, Glasgow at the turn of the 19th and 20th century so around 1880, 1920 and a lot of the textiles that ended up being made by those women were suffragette banners and campaigning materials so I think I ended up actually doing um, my dissertation on, on banners. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting, that sort of idea of what is design, what is art, and so on. And a lot of really interesting makers in Scotland who've crossed those boundaries. That's super, super fascinating. And, you know, that cross-section of, or that almost juxtaposition of what is practical fabrics and what is activist or purpose-driven, intentional textile design and yeah absolutely. absolutely and fine art as well so I was I was using sewing machines to 
to draw with, you know, I was doing lots and lots of work that was around, uh, I think I discovered a bit about, well, I was very, very politically active, you know, like a feminist, but also sort of left-leaning political person. So I suppose there was lots of things that you could do in, a, in fine art there as well that was sort of speaking to some of those issues as well at, at the time. So, yeah, it's an exciting time. Super. So I moved to Glasgow in 2013 for university as well, although a bit later, at a later age. And I'm wondering, what was it like to move to Glasgow at that point in your life, when you were quite young, when Glasgow was probably very different than it is today? What was it like to arrive here and make a home here? Oh, so unrecognisable in virtually every respect. So obviously there's still some of the architecture, you know, is sort of like really, really fundamental in sort of shaping what the city feels like and obviously the river and the geographic locale you know there's obviously lots of things they're saying but if you can imagine I was I was thinking about how did I find out about Glasgow School about how did I find out about embroidering rope woven textiles and now instantly you'd be googling you'd be on the internet you'd be emailing you so there was no World Wide Web, there was no mobile phones, there was no Googling. There was, so it was literally like curriculums or uh, materials about courses. You had to search them, you had to send off for them, you had to look through them and you couldn't necessarily just email somebody or put anything on social media to ask what it was going to be like. So you can imagine arriving in a city that although I had relatives in Scotland I didn't know Glasgow at all and it was it was overwhelming and unbelievably exciting I mean it was a really really incredible immersion I think especially when I moved from uh, living with my relatives to living in the centre of the city in Garnet Hill in student residence it was a so-called women's uh, residence at the time uh, even though there, there was a trans person living in the in the building it was sort of like had that um, fluid binary type of feel to it you know so uh, but it was nevertheless called the girls hostel I think it was called at the time <laughs> um, so it was it was really exciting because all the people that were living with me knew loads about the city so I felt like I had a huge immersion into, into Glasgow's culture. So I remember going down to Paddy's Market, going to the Barris for the first time, going to Calvin Grove, just discovering these incredible places and just how remarkably beautiful the, build, uh, the landscape was, the built environment was. It went straight to my heart. And do you, was there a moment where you knew this is home or this, these are my people? Yeah, do you know, I, it was remarkable really how quickly I sort of felt at home. I still had some homesickness for, because the, at the time there were, weren't awful many, or most of the people that I was studying with were Glasgow born and bred or were Scots. And a lot of them had done first year, a first year of study, foundation study, and I'd done that um, down south. So lots of people knew loads of things that I didn't know. And sometimes when you find any bearings, that can feel, it can compound any lonely feelings or homesick feelings you might have. But I became 
fiercely sort of like, you know, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but incredibly committed to Glasgow fairly quickly. I feel like that's a common occurrence. Many people I know who live here or who've moved here, whether it's from abroad or from down south, it's you either love it or hate it, and the people who love it absolutely love it. You are a Glasgow person. It doesn't matter where you're from. That's no. your home, and, and you stand in for it. You're so right, and I think actually arriving as I did at that critical age, you know, when you are fanatically interested in music, politics, and, you know, it was still quite punky at the time, and loads of style things going on, and, you know, things that really were terrifically exciting dancing all that type of stuff was like it was a great place to be and so how did it come about that you then got involved in the organization that later turned into the Glasgow Women's Library or the Glasgow Women's Library was born out of how did all of that begin well maybe something that obviously spoken about this in lots of different settings or people might might know Lots about that story who were interested in this type of stuff. I'm not assuming a lot of people know about the Women's Library, but those that do maybe know a wee bit about the story of how it started up. But I suppose something that I've not um, mentioned in a lot of detail is that almost like the build-up to Women in Profile, that actually there was a woman called Barbara Littlewood at Glasgow University who had done a publication or, or edited a publication called Uncharted Lives and it was about lost hidden histories of women in Scotland but it wasn't about culture and it wasn't about the arts so much so she'd sort of almost convened a group around the time that there was an announcement that Glasgow was going to be European City of Culture and I think it was with a view to having another publication that would be about women in the arts and one of the women who she brought into that meeting was a really fabulous woman artist who is still with us and thriving and doing amazing work called Sam Ainsley. And Sam was one of the tiny number of women working at the art school at the time. And she, fortunately, she was like a larger-than-life character for me, like fabulously stylish, really amazing, brilliant artwork, unashamedly feminist. And... At the time, i just shifted from being a student to teaching at the art school, and she'd given me that break, so I'd got a chance to, to work with some students that she was working with, and she had not been able to go to this meeting, this gathering, and she'd said, do, I, do you want to go? And I went along, and that's really the momentum started then for this group that was going to be about almost like a counter to the idea of a white, pale male style type of representation of Glasgow during the City of Culture year. And that really, the rest is history. We'd work together, actually the group in time-honoured fashion. Uh, the original group that we formed had a schism, which many feminist groups do, but we carried on doing our work and um, delivered loads of stuff during the 1990 year, exhibitions, events, actions, and so on and so forth. And big projects as well, film screenings and uh, lots of other lovely things, exciting things. And then really that's, that's where the Women's Library started germinating. And so for anyone who doesn't know 
the women's library. How would you describe it? And can you give us a, a brief history? I know it's hard to yes. put in a few sentences, but maybe you can give your best yes. at a brief history. Do you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to describe because you would think that the name is a great way of explaining it, but it's, it, it isn't in some respects because uh, we're not just working in Glasgow, we're working all over, well, all over the UK, but we do lots of work across Scotland. We also have international links. We're not just for women, so although we specialise in women and women's history and our collection obviously as we're looking around us today you know there's everything on the shelves is by or about women um, and we're not just a library so we like the idea of Glasgow Women's Library it's a simple lovely thing that fires the imagination of lots of people even those that have not not been in they can imagine what that could be for them but actually we've We've grown into a really complex and interesting organisation that has lots of different things happening, whether it's exhibitions, our beautiful spaces are always filled with amazing things going on. We obviously have digital things now. Even before COVID, we were having lots of digital stuff happening. But we're a collection as well. What's really interesting when you come in is that it, doesn't feel like a normal library, it doesn't feel like a normal museum or archive. You can ha handle things, you can visit, you can research here, you can um, snuggle up in a corner and read, you can um, draw, you can do whatever you want to do in our space and you can get involved in things, you know, and you can make friendships and you can hatch plans for other amazing counter-cultural organisations. So uh, we also do lots of work with specific groups. So we have wonderful work that's taking place all the time, supporting people who are at the start of their learning journeys, say, for example, with uh, confidence in reading and writing. Some people have not had the best experience of education for one reason or another, or for whatever reason want to make headway in, in that really, really critical area of learning. So we do a lot in literacy learning. We also have women who are developing their confidence in English. Uh, we have classes regularly during the week for those that are sort of maybe new citizens in the city or, again, maybe just want to sort of develop their confidence in using English. So there's an array of different things that we do. Um, and I think for the benefit of the medium, it would be quite nice to try and describe what the Women's Library also looks like. Yes. Um, because obviously one of the amazing things, and you've just mentioned it, is that you come in here and it doesn't feel like just any library. It doesn't yeah. feel like just any museum. What I really love about it is the warm welcome. As soon as you come in, you're being welcomed. Someone offers you a cup of tea. Yeah. Um, you can sit down, you can have a chat. It's not a place where you're being shushed whenever yeah. you, you say a word. And then you're obviously surrounded by books here on in the main um, room of the library. Yeah. And what I particularly love are the wooden cubes that have the names of authors, female authors on them with some information about them as well. And I remember a few years ago, I, I attended a talk with one of your curators, or at the time she was one of your curators, who explained about creating a whole new 
cataloging system for the library, which is absolutely fascinating. And then the other thing I love about the library, to give people a sense, is the carpet. (laughs) Can you tell us a bit about the carpet? Yes, it's a bit of a legendary carpet from a legendary carpet maker. So this carpet, it's a grey ground with little sort of pinky orangey dots on it. But the main design is of, it's almost like a, a beautiful pavilion, a graphic of a pavilion. And this is a representation of the very famous Bridgeton Cross. Um, Bridgeton, uh, which is where the library is based, uh, has a cross and it has a really beautiful 19th century uh, ornate Victorian um, cross and it's it's almost like a shelter it's like a beautiful umbrella colorful um, umbrella in the center of, of of the cross so it's represented on on our carpet which is so it is absolutely beautiful it's much admired but the carpet was made in a building that we can actually see from if we look out of the many many windows in the library because the library's got loads and loads of beautiful windows um, we can see the Templeton Carpet Factory and that's where this carpet was made so uh, there's a really lovely connection it's very East End this library is a really much loved uh, local resource um, for people in Bridgeton and just for those who are worried about threats to local libraries it's now rehoused it was rehoused before we actually moved in uh, and at the cross so just maybe about 100 yards down the road you will find the local London Library where people go, use the library in a normal way. But as you say, in our library, uh, people can come in and uh, it's welcome to all and pick up a membership straight away. Unlike normal libraries, we don't have fines here, so people can immediately take things out and it's a sort of guilt-free place. So, um, yeah. Let's take a quick break to hear a story about our sponsors. So we've heard about the library and and what it looks like, what it feels like to be here. And I'm wondering for anyone who who has never been to a women's library, maybe locally or or abroad, and are a bit sceptical maybe of the idea or aren't quite sure what to expect, I wanted to ask you why you think that institutions like the Glasgow Women's Library are so important. I suppose that there are the maybe things that people might fathom themselves that like it's really good to know about things that are less visible. You know, I think people are more fortunately asking those extra questions now that, say, for example, in the teaching of history that we have, that people are more used to this idea now, like, well, what is the other history? What are the histories not hearing about? What about the histories of enslaved people and Glasgow what, what's that story about or what's the story about you know queer people in in this city or you know so I suppose we've always been really keen to sort of think about things in an intersectional way like that so I think that what you find here is that lots and lots of that those other stories not just the history stories but the stories that are important today that are maybe not being heard but I suppose another thing that maybe isn't so obvious is when I was growing up I grew up did working class background and so on and often I think about the fluky way that 
I ended up being somebody who could go think about going to higher education. I was the first in my family to do that. And I suppose one of the ways was that my my dad ended up uh, getting involved in a, he was a key musician, got involved in folk groups and through folk groups and poetry because it, that was a, it was that type of time when folk groups were happening when my dad was growing up as a, as a young man. And through the poetry group, you know, I got to meet some amazing people and poets and that idea of poetry wasn't something that you just thought, what's that? It was like you started to learn about it. So I suppose I'm, I'm telling this story because I think often in the Women's Library, we provide those fluky pipelines to culture. So if you come in, you could come into the Women's Library and think, I'm coming in to go to a, an ESOL class or an English as a second or other language class, or I'm coming in to volunteer and I just want to sort of get a job that is a local job or whatever it might be and you might discover that you're actually somebody who likes independent documentaries or you might be somebody who ends up getting heavily into textiles because we do do a lot of projects with creatives and artists and so on and so forth or you might discover you love photography or you love you want to be a campaigner or so for me it's almost like of course the, the, the pathways to university further in higher education can seem beyond some people who have never felt included or never felt like that was for them. But this is almost like a space to learn and discover yourself as well as discover others, you know. So there's plenty of people, I think, who found themselves in the Women's Library, found out what they're interested in found out why some things don't sit with them and discovered other people who feel like them. And, you know, so I think it sounds very visionary thing, but I I do think I believe it, you know, and Mm. I I do think that I know that's what happens, Mm. you know. So it's hard to say you will do this. It's not like we have one course that happens here and this happens there. It's almost like... It is a evolving, multifaceted space. And to a degree, the people who are coming in and finding themselves are shaping what it's going to be like in the future. So there's very much a breathing in and breathing out going on between those that use the Women's Library, those that volunteer, those that work here, and, you know, what its future will be. Yeah, it seems very symbiotic. Absolutely. And it's very much about, to me, it feels like it's very much about offering different routes to not just higher education, cultural institutions, all of these places that can feel quite alienating or, or you know, only for certain people and then finding those different points of connection and entryways into that kind of space is, is what I think the Women's Library does so, so well. You're right. I mean, it's it's been... It's provided an avenue for me to learn millions of things that I didn't know about before, you know. So, yeah, I, I think that that is a very, very important thing. And I, I do think that very many of the cultural institutions that we're talking about that are out there are getting this message now, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think that few of them, when I first came to Glasgow, were thinking about the things that we're doing but now I feel like the tide is turning and there's very much more of an interest in thinking about how people are, are using a space, mm. finding it relevant or not. Yeah. 
I had an experience like that and I, I would love to share that with you actually. So obviously I'm not Scottish either. So for me, moving here, I didn't know very much about Scottish history or culture, literature, things like that. Um, so one of the examples, obviously, is Robert Burns. He's a national poet. Everybody knows Robert Burns and his poems, or poems, which is yeah. such a lovely work to yeah. see. And, um, and I didn't know anything about it. But then a few years ago, I actually attended one of the Burns Night uh, celebrations here at the Women's oh, Library. Wow. And nice. there were people singing Robert Burns songs in Urdu. Yeah. There was a storyteller, Leslie, I believe, um, yeah. performed Tamil Shanter. And those kinds of experiences were the first time I really started to get Robert Burns or feel like wow. that Robert Burns could be something that I can relate to and I find interesting. And I've since been to the Robert Burns Museum in Alloway and the Cottage and Roselle House and um, all of these things. And, and that really kicked off with an event at the Women's Library. So, oh, um, so I, just, I thought I could share that with you. It's a perfect example, Kath. It really, really is. And I think that, um, you know, if if those magical things that happen, I'm not saying that we always, it's always magical for everybody, you know, but those types of stories make it worthwhile. You know, like we had a similar experience recently with somebody who was sharing, and I'm sharing this because they shared it on, on social media and in different contacts. I won't n name the person, but there was somebody who uh, was accessing the library recently and had sort of fed back to the first time that they'd been to an exhibition and it was um, a Joan Adler exhibition. And it's given rise to them creating just the most amazing poetic responses. So first real times where they get into grips with like what poetry could be in relation to an artwork. And, you know, just all these sort of amazing things. Of, and that was the first time they'd come across Joan Adler's work. And, you know, again, it's just almost like, oh, that's what you want, you know, that... We all do, don't we? We want things to be opened up to us mm. and it's tough enough coming across things in the first place, but when you do find things and you put yourself in a place to learn things, it's really a responsibility of any organisation like our own to make it pleasurable, to make it relevant, to include people, to think about how people are going to come across the material that you're trying to rave about, you know. Mm. So I'm so pleased to hear that. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, is there anything, if you got a do-over in the history of the Women's Library, is there anything you would do differently? Yeah. Do you know, over the years, I feel like I'm always, always learning in life. Sometimes it's been quite painful process of learning in the library because of my lack of knowledge and, you know, learning and, and so on. I'm not a trained librarian. I don't know, you know... Uh, you learn things painfully th through a process like this, especially when there's very few uh, models to, to look at. It's sometimes you can make mistakes and so on and so forth. But I, th I think through speaking a lot to young women, actually, it was, uh, some young women a few years ago, TYCI, this fantastic group, and I remember thinking about this recently, actually, that seeing the way that some young women have got superb, confidence to ask things ask people for things and they've asked you know they would why why don't we ask you know Carrie Brownstein why don't we ask Lindy West why don't we ask these stellar people you know feminists 
to come to the women's library they were they were doing quite a lot of curatorial you know events for us and I just thought oh god I wish I'd been braver you know I wish I'd been more gallus I think they're saying in Glasgow about asking asking those things but I think that's probably to do with uh things like entitlement you know like as I say my history was one where I didn't really feel like I was entitled to ask for things like that not that the young women I'm speaking about had any sense of entitlement at all it was just a certain type of fearlessness Mm. uh that any imposter syndrome that they might have had they decided that's not I'm going to not have that put in my way I'm going to sort of ask for these things and through kindness and compassion and positive thinking. And then I think the other things that I'm learning from a lot of young women today is about sort of the value of your own institutional knowledge or your own personal knowledge or your own, um, the things that you have wrought, you know. So that's teaching me a lot when people are sort of saying, yes, I will do this, but actually this is the value of my own thing. And not just in capitalist terms, but almost like in terms of, this does mean something and my knowledge needs to be respected or whatever. So I think I'm coming to terms with that and it's informing the way that I'm thinking about my role in this organisation and and really embracing that idea of feminist leadership. But in our organisation, I'm thinking about that as horizontal, Mm. you know, that I'm looking around and thinking there are leaders everywhere. I've just seen Gabby go into and Rance go into the office space there and I regard them as leaders Mm. in terms of volunteering you know the sectors where volunteering is happening I can't think of better people doing that in Scotland today than those women who've just walked through the doors you know there's evidence of leadership all over the the library but I think that idea of um, valuing yourself more I suppose I if I was thinking about that as something that I would have liked to come across earlier as a concept but um things change all the time you know and uh, I certainly don't feel any regrets just that I'm really really grateful I've been in a space where I can learn these things in last week's episode we heard a story about one of the women's heritage walks that the women's library does all over Glasgow and we walked up to the necropolis and discovered the history of women in that particular part of town and I'm wondering whether you can tell me a little bit about um, the development of these tours, how they came about, and what kinds of things we can learn on, on some of the other tours, not just the Necropolis one. Um, I think there the had been some women's heritage work, very few and far between, before we started ours. And I think that certainly remember one in, in London and picking up a pamphlet about that and now the idea of heritage works are unbelievably widespread but when we were thinking about it it must be well over 15 years ago if not longer I do remember the spark and the spark being um, picking up some materials about two works that had just been developed by uh, Glasgow City Council one was a necropolis work um, it was actually developed by the Friends of Glasgow Necropolis, but supported by the City Council. And then the other one was a walk in Calvin Grove Park. And at the time, there were very many people in the library who were interested in women's history, this idea of hidden history we've talked about already, and you know, getting pretty sort of fired up about 
the lack of statues of women in the city, and I know this is also a current theme. But when we looked at these couple of maps, there were no women mentioned on the Calvin Grove one. But and I suppose there because it was about statues of guys, and you know, it's like almost like okay, maybe fair enough, even though they didn't include the suffragette oak or anything else that they could have done in that area. Um, but the one about the necropolis I thought was a bit ridiculous because I think there were one, there was, the Buchanan sisters were mentioned on this walk, but no other women. And as we know, women die, you know, so really there is no excuse. You know, there are plenty of women, you know, as you know, there's the, the so-called Queen of the Gypsies is there, you know, all these phenomenal women are in the necropolis. Um, so really, that was almost like the thing that fired us up, just coming across these bits of history. And again, thinking this is some many, many years since we started Women in Profile, which was a project that the library grew out of. It was that same sort of fiery anger of like, hold on, are we all these years ahead and there's still these maps of the history, who's represented, it's still the same. So, um, yeah, we just sort of forged a There was a really great uh, student placement who came and worked with us at the time, but largely it was to do with uh, volunteers who decided where will we develop our first work. It was on the West End. And we just started really uncovering remarkable facts. There are some themes that go throughout. There's lots and lots of suffrage history across the the walks, but we're also sort of really interested in, um, I suppose, not just the great and the good, but women who were remarkable, as it were, not really well-known women, whether it was women who were amongst the first women constables in in Glasgow, um, whether it was women who arrived in the city as and as migrants um, and who set up remarkable resources, women who set up the first Chinese centre in Glasgow, women who uh, were, Joan Eardley is mentioned, obviously the Glasgow girls are mentioned. Actually, in one or two tours, we're mentioned as well. So now we're almost like in that cusp of history. So <laughs> when we do our Garnet Hill walk, our first premises are included on that walk. So it's it's a real sort of mixture. We've had walks like the Goebbels Walk where song has been incorporated. We've even had Claire Balding, who's a quite well-known uh, BBC broadcaster, came on a necropolis walk and covered us. You know, so we've had thousands of people on our walks. And obviously our walks, um, others around Scotland have wanted to set up walks as well. So our National Lifelong Learning Team have supported the development of what's been set up across Scotland as well. So, um, But what I love is that people who go on the walks often contribute history themselves and remember things that we're speaking about and maybe people might be passing or on one spectacular occasion somebody opened up a window and said, aye, that's right, when we were talking about something and it actually remembered one of the women that we were speaking about. So... Again, it's not like, well, we've we've nailed it. You know, it's almost like porous to other people's ideas and comments and 
you know, whether it's people who are on, on the walks who said, that pub over there used to ban me from <laughs> drinking pints or it never used to have women in, and it didn't have a women's toilet, you know, mm-hmm. when it, there were students at Glasgow Uni. or So, yeah, they're ever-evolving. Um, and I think it's good to point out, of course, nothing can replace the live experience, but the, the walks are also available on your website um, I know some of them are available as audio tours and then you have the maps and the leaflets with information about all of them online as well. So any listener who is visiting Glasgow and doesn't get the chance to come along to a live tour can still dive into that history and learn and, and you know, get fascinated by Absolutely. the Glasgow history. Absolutely. And um, yeah, pl- thank you so much for that, that plug uh, for the the walks and the tours and I think my colleagues as well uh, just over the next few while look out on the website because we're reactivating our cycling tours as well and I think we're going to have some cycling tours for older cyclists and also we're doing some versions new versions of the tours that are sort of slightly shorter so usually our walks last about up to two hours but we're aware that some people just now might be welcoming having a shorter tour or maybe doing a guided tour for for an hour and then maybe having a break and then going off and finishing the tour themselves so hopefully this we're mixing it up a little bit with with things that mean that it's slightly more accessible to more people lovely we're running out of time it's i could speak to you for hours i think <laughs> Um, I do have a lot of questions left, but I'm just going to select some of them that I would really love to talk to you about. And the first one is, I think Glasgow can, you know, Glasgow is and should be very proud of having the Women's Library here. And Scotland, I think, can be very lucky, is very lucky to have such an institution here. And I know that in 2015, you actually won an award as the Scotswoman of the Year. And I wanted to ask you, how that felt to be recognised in that way and to be awarded, you know, Scotswoman of the Year? It was absolutely and utterly existentially mind-blowing and just incredible. I mean, I'm not a sort of like, you know, it's mortifying as well, what the words thing can be a bit like um, cringy or whatever, like to, to speak about it. But this one, I do feel like I was profoundly moved and I think, I think just thinking about my history and my Scottish heritage and feeling so proud about it, but also sort of feeling proud that Scotland is a place that would vote for somebody who was not a Scot. And I think the, the time before it had been somebody with Polish heritage. Um, and I just sort of think, do you know what, that felt so <laughs> profound at a time when obviously there's sort of xenophobia and there's around and there's sort of like even anti-English feeling for a lot of good reasons sometimes Um, but you know it just felt profoundly moving for me and actually sort of like I suppose getting back to that idea about feeling respect and things like that it was like you can any any one of us could sort of think oh well you know it's we can minimize and diminish the things that have happened but that to me was like such a sort of endorsing thing you know I mean it was just such a sort of lovely uh vote of confidence for me I, I, I really did feel it 
you know, it, was, it, it felt like an out-of-body experience when <laughs> it actually happened. But, but I suppose also sort of like really underscoring the idea that the Women's Library is a significant organisation, you know, that, that, that was uh, a big part of it as well. Something else I wanted to ask you, uh, and those might be quick-fire round questions, yeah. but, but I also appreciate that they might take some time to answer. Um, if you could hang out with a historical figure for a day, who would it be? And if it's easier to rein it in, if it was a Glaswegian or a Scottish person, who would it be? Who would you want to meet and hang out for, for a day? Oh, that is such an incredibly wonderful question. I mean, obviously there are figures that are not Glaswegian, you know, like Audre Lorde, and, you know, like, I mean, there's just, just so many incredible figures in, in history. But I think in terms of Glasgow figures, just to almost, like, shadow somebody, somebody like battling Betty McAllister, you know, was like a... And just a real firebrand activist from the East End. Or, you know, just to think about some of the, the women who were involved in the rent strikes, you know, like Helen Crawford, or, you know, some of these women who were fearless, you know, like, uh, you know, women who went and took tea with Stalin, you know, and took the knitting with them, or, you know. There are some, I mean, Glasgow is absolutely packed to the gills with unbelievably remarkable women but yeah I think uh, Helen Crawford is is up there definitely very good choice if someone wanted to learn more about women's history in Scotland or wanted to prepare before they come and visit Scotland and want to learn something which books would you recommend can you kind of select maybe the top three books you think people could look into to learn a bit more about women's history I mean obviously uh, Elspeth King wrote a, a classic that would just keep returning to time and again which is uh, about the uh, hidden history of women in Glasgow so I would recommend maybe looking at that and also because it's full of really brilliant images and really really so the Thanew factor um, another book that you might think is a bit dry and dusty um, but there's a biographical dictionary of women in Scotland as well that's just been updated the last wee while and again because it gives you little morsels little snapshots because there's no typical woman there's no typical you know but that's got figures like the amazing Maud Salter in who's a phenomenal black woman artist who's you know this fabulous Scots icon um, so you're going to find people who maybe um, you wouldn't necessarily discover in, in other ways and then I mentioned earlier on about the Glasgow Girls you know that's a book that I, I contributed to very many years ago but just this idea of a group of women who were working across every type of discipline and making art that if you think about the Vienna Secession was one of the most amazing periods and you know where Art Nouveau starts and that's incredible you know flowering and blossoming of modernism the key figures in that Vienna secession regarded Margaret MacDonald Macintosh as a complete icon you know and the fact that less than a century after that their history the history of the Glasgow girls could have been forgotten speaks volumes really about how precarious women's history is you know so 
But I think because maybe a lot of people who are visiting the city are interested in the buildings, are interested in museums, are interested in art, wiring into the Glasgow Girls rather than the Rennie Mackintoshes as a starting point, you know, it's, it's a good way of looking at the city. And there are obviously a lot of places around Glasgow and also in the in the vicinity. I was recently at the Hill House in Helensborough where you can learn about Margaret MacDonald and see some of her art alongside her husband's. Um, so, yeah. Okay, final question. I just wrote a book about Glasgow and I'll show you that in, in a second. So the question is a bit inspired by that. So final question for today. I would love to know from you what place or what places in Glasgow or Scotland make you happy? That's a very good question. I think um, during the, the past couple of years or so, um, you recognise what you're missing and you recognise what you, the places that give you solace and, and so on. And I would say... Um, it's difficult to choose a park, but the parks are unbelievably important to me. And I've noticed over the years that I often use them as the key landmark. To, mm. If somebody says, oh, where will I find so-and-so? And you say, well, see the park. I actually did this yesterday to, to somebody. I was saying, you know the bandstand at the Calvin Grove? Well, if you look across the road, that's where you'll find the Suffragette Oak or whatever. So... I think the parks have played an enormous role in bringing me joy over the years and discovering new parks all the time, discovering Richmond Park, discovering Shuttler Road, discovering all the, all the wealth of parks in the city is quite phenomenal. And sometimes just in terms of resetting, you know, and a lot of the parks as well have got hills, you know, in them. Uh, so Alexandra Park, Queen's Park, you know, a lot of the... And Calvin Grove, you've got a good vantage point mm. of, of getting your perspective again. So that is a really important thing. But also I've taken great pleasure in places like the Arlington Baths, Turkish Bath Suite, you know, like just an amazing, quirky, lovely space, I love saunas, I love you know, places like that and again during lockdown, you know, that idea, that fancy of being in a space like that again but there's so many, the, the swimming pool at Tall Cross that, you know, funnily enough you know, the art spaces I suppose I, I, there's so much associated with my work life um, in the past I would take so much joy from being in Glasgow School of Art and sadly that is a space that I can only visit now in my imagination yeah. Uh, but yeah, there have been places that have had a pr profound lasting effect on me Yeah. so I guess if we round up the Adele Patrick Guide to Glasgow we'll come and visit the Women's Library we do one of the heritage walks and we tour some of the parks to get views and just be in quiet and calmness surrounded by nature and of course the Suffragette Oak which is a fascinating tree um, in the west end of Glasgow is there anything else you would like to make sure we include in the podcast or anything you I've not asked you and you would like to say and give our listeners on the road. I would say that those that are able to, please come and visit us, but also not just visit, but um, make it your own, make the library your own, but also um, invest in it into the future. 
So by that I mean bring your ideas, bring your the books that you want to pass on to others because everything that you see in our collection is donated. So that's a way that you can uh, make your mark. But also I suppose like help us decide what the library should be for the next 30 years um, and longer. Fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to speaking with me today and for being a guest on the Wild for Scotland podcast. I think that's it. Thank you so much to Adele Patrick for coming onto the show and sharing some of her story and about the Glasgow Women's Library with us. I hope you enjoyed learning some of Glasgow's hidden history and feel inspired to add the Women's Library to your bucket list. Like Adele said, everyone is welcome at the library and at the Heritage Walks, so if you're interested in history, I can't recommend them enough. You can connect with the Glasgow Women's Library on social media at Women's Library on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And you can find all upcoming events and information about the walks on womenslibrary.org.uk. The links are all in the show notes. And with this, I send you off to dream about your own trip to Glasgow. Next week, we're leaving the cities behind and we'll head to the blue waters and green hills of the Scottish West Coast. I hope you'll tune in again. Thank you so much for listening today. If you want to support the show and financial giving is in the cards, you can become a Patreon from £3 or dollars or euros per month and get access to bonus content. You'll find the link in the show notes. Wild for Scotland is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten path. The show is written and hosted by me, Kathy Kamleitner. Thanks to Fran Turowskis, who's the co-producer and editor and does the sound design. And to Michelle Payne, who helps with transcripts and social media. Podcast art is by Lizzie Vaughan Knight, the Tartan Trailburner, and all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace. Until next time, when we travel to a different place in Scotland. If you're still here, listening all the way to the very end, it means you've probably got your hands full. So let me take this opportunity to remind you that I don't just write immersive travel stories. I also plan unforgettable itineraries for Scotland. And it's never been easier to follow one of my routes. Head to watchmesee.com forward slash shop to browse my ready-made Scotland itineraries and turn your travel dreams into reality.